Well, let's open the Word of God, please, to Philippians chapter 4. Read some verses once again from this final chapter. So Philippians chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 13, <clears throat> reading through to verse 19. Philippians 4 and the verse 13, and let's hear the word of the living God. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have done well, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all, and abound, and am full. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. And once again, we'll look to the Lord and we'll ask the Lord to bless us even as we gather around his word and his truth. Let's pray. Our loving Father and eternal God, we thank the Lord for the privilege to offer praise to Thee, the wonderful truth contained, psalm and hymns that we have sung. We thank the Lord for the reading of the Word and how it is a blessing. And Thy Word is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And now we come, O God, not to present fairy tales or, Lord, to bring our own thoughts, but we seek, O God, to rightly divide the Word of truth. By study, Lord, we have endeavored to delve into the meaning, the context, setting all these things. And Lord, we pray that as this has been done, O oh God, to the best of this preacher's ability, that now that thou would grant unto him, grant unto me the power of the infilling of the Spirit of God. By faith, Lord, simple faith, I take the promised Holy Ghost. For thou art my Father. Lord, we have read here, that Lord, that we will obtain from thee what we need. And so, Lord, we thank thee or the verse that even we considered last week, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And this preacher can, because I'm in union with Christ. And so, blessed Spirit, come, speak to all assembled, saint and sinner alike, those who are cold in heart, and may the word be mixed with faith, that it might profit all who would hear it. So grant our prayer, for this we ask with an eye to thine eternal praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Now this message is number 39 in the series of our studies, and it may be the penultimate study in the book, so I would ask for your prayers as to the leading of the Lord, where we will go next. But we find ourselves once again this morning in the closing section of Paul's letter to the believers at Philippi. Now the main body of the letter, it really runs from Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. And that main body is bookend with more, a more personal preface and postscript. As it is the case with the Apostle Paul, his theology is not something that is simply in a book, but it impacts his life. He is ever living it out, whether he realizes it or not. And it comes through 
in his personal loving communication to these people. And in the final few verses of this chapter, there's always something to glean from this man of God. We have been considering how the apostle was content in Christ. It didn't matter his outward circumstances. He had an inner peace that was never given to him by the world, and therefore the world cannot, nor the circumstances in this world, can never take it away. He had Christ, and that's all that mattered. Last Lord's Day, we were looking at verse 13, a great verse, life verse of many, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And we saw there that Paul was content in Christ because he was confident in Christ. We've seen in the verse the personal declaration of the apostle. He says, I can do all things. Paul had the resources to do the all things contained in the will of God. We also thought about the precious affiliation through or in Christ. Paul could only speak with such confidence because he was in union with Christ. Though Paul of himself had, uh, had inadequate and insufficient resources, he was in living union with the Lord Jesus. And just as a branch is joined to the vine and from the vine, it gets the uh, vital nutrients and the resources to grow and bear fruit. So all in Christ, they find that in Him, they have all that they need to do the all things of the will of God. And in the final place, we thought about the powerful communication, which strengtheneth me. The Lord puts strength into the apostle by the mysterious and yet wondrous operation and agency of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful verse to counteract our cans in this old, weary, toilsome world in which we live. And I trust that you have lived not only in the light of that verse in the week that has gone past, but also in the experience of it. You see, as I mentioned, Paul wasn't a man whose theology and knowledge was all in his head or really in black and white on the pages of a book. It was in his soul. It was worked out and lived out in his life in a real living faith. Now that brings us to verse 14, where we read there, Notwithstanding, ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now the apostle had already made it clear that though a long interval had taken place since he had received a gift from the Philippian church. He did not complain, and he realized that there were sufficient reasons that accounted for that long delay. He did not deny that he had been straightened in his circumstances, his outward circumstances, but that he had been content because he discerned the will of God in everything in his life. And he was able to do all things because of his confidence in Christ. And in the light of this revelation, as the Philippians would have heard this letter read, they might have wondered, well, why did we bother to send them a gift in the first place? After all, would one who is self-content uh, and confident in Christ, why would such an individual need anything? And Paul understands that this might have been their line of thought, and that's why he straight away adds this word, notwithstanding. You see, he's always thinking about how others would feel, about how others would be affected by the words in which he said. And so he adds this word, notwithstanding, yes, I'm content in Christ, I'm confident in Christ, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, I know how to be full, I know how to be empty, I know all these things. But Paul, he's, he's thinking, well, well, these people might think, why on earth did I send a gift to him in the first place? 
And so he says, notwithstanding, ye did well. He says, they have well done. They had done a good thing. They had done a noble thing. The word for well comes from a root word that means beautiful. It was beautiful in its nature, in its character, what they had done. And he was rejoicing that his friends had been able to send on to his necessity. Now, here we have in a section, verses 14 to 19, it really conveys to us the truth of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man running side by side as parallel railroad tracks to bring about the will of God. And in these verses, we have the support and the supply of the saints set before us. And that's how we're going to consider them this morning under that heading, the support and supply of the saints. So two, two points with three subpoints under each. Firstly, the support of the saints. Paul says that the Philippians have done well to communicate with my affliction. And we can understand the word communicate to mean to share in partnership with. Paul, in the opening of this letter, he told them how he thanked God for their fellowship in the gospel that he had with them. And though he was a highly gifted man with many abilities, he was not a man who worked in isolation in the gospel. He had the support, he had the, uh, the partnership of others. Those who were actually with him as he traveled around with him uh, uh, spreading the gospel of Christ, and he frequently alludes to that with the use of the plural pronoun we, but also those who were not with him in person. And the Philippian church is a tremendous example of those who are in partnership that were sharing with Paul in this matter of spreading the gospel. He was a people who were, and who counted it a great privilege to be in partnership with Paul, to give to the cause of Christ they had wanted to give. Their partnership with him was no doubt expressed, yes, in prayerful support. But here we find the emphasis upon practical support that they give to the Lord's servant. They were honored that Christ had given them the grace to give. And they were motivated by love for Christ and love for the apostle. Someone has said you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And their love was expressed in the form of this practical support. Now, as I said, no doubt they prayed for the apostle. They supported him by their prayers, but the emphasis here is upon their practical support for him. And I want to draw three things concerning this support of the saints for the saints in verses 15 to 18. So firstly, we see under this heading, the support of the saints, the faithfulness demonstrated, and we have this in verses 15 and 16. Let's read the verses together. Put your eyes on the page of Scripture. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Now what Paul does here, he takes them back to a time about 10 years ago. He's going to tell them something that they already know, and he's going to take them on a trip down memory lane back to a time when the gospel was first preached unto them in that city of Philippi, which is recorded in Acts chapter 16. And there in verse 15, we read about a woman called Lydia. And yes, her heart was open. She came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
But after that, she constrained a traveling missionary party, which consisted of at least four men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and she constrained them to come back and abide in her house. It suggested that Paul was in that city for three months, and during this time, Lydia would have ministered unto their everyday needs. She supported them in a very practical way. She was a woman who was given to hospitality. Now, we can't be dogmatic, but I'm sure that other believers helped in this matter of practical support. Possibly Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and Luke, they went to other ladies' house for food, or those ladies maybe in the congregation would have brought some food for the apostles as they were staying there in the house of Lydia. Lydia was a woman of means, but it doesn't mean that she herself was undertaking for all their practical support. And so that's one way in which practical support was given to Paul while he was there. But after Paul departed from Philippi, we read in the book of Acts that he went to Thessalonica. And that wasn't really that far away. He was only there for about two weeks. But even there, in that short space of time, we learn in these verses that the believers sent unto him more than once, in a practical way, meeting his necessities. Then Paul, he left the region of Macedonia. Those cities of Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi. And he headed for Athens and Corinth and Achaia. And they still were the only church that sent him something by way of practical support. That's what he tells us there. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Even when he went out from Macedonia, even when he left the neighboring towns that was beside Philippi, when he went further afield into Athens and Corinth, well, those Philippian believers sent, still sent practical gifts after the apostle Paul in the support. And they had done well, not only with this recent gift, but they demonstrated their faithfulness in the past, and Paul was reminding them of that. Here was a local church which had a missionary vision, not only to spread the gospel in their own area, but further afield. And while they could not go themselves to the regions beyond, by their faithful giving, they were in partnership. They were sharing with Paul, who was carrying the message of the gospel to those who had never heard. And in this way, they themselves were helping to fulfill the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Paul, as he had done in other churches, and we read about this in his epistles, he must have taught the Philippians very early on the importance of faithful giving to support those Christians in the ministry. Because soon after he left, they were sending their gifts after him. These people would have been just a few months old in the faith, and yet the faith not only affected their hearts, but it affected their wallets. They were already practicing faithful giving. Now, ironically, if any church had the excuse not to give, it was the Philippian church, since they were one of the most impoverished churches. How do we know that? Well, Paul points that out to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and the verse 3, he tells there that the churches in Macedonia, which included Philippi, it says there that they gave above beyond their means. Now, apparently, those early gifts, we read from other of Paul's letters, were not 
enough to provide full support for the apostle. Because he reminds the church in Thessalonica how he worked with his hands among them to make up his own support, to provide for his own needs. But that's not the point. The point is not how much the Philippians gave, but rather it's the faithfulness of their manner of giving. You know, when we have deputation meetings, it's not only a time when we can partner with the missionary in prayerful support, but a time when we can partner with them in practical support. It's right and proper for the individual who labors in the gospel to live off the gospel, or we could say those who have been impacted by the gospel, those who have been changed by the gospel, the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we read here in Philippians chapter 4. It was the church that sent unto him. As I said, while God is sovereign and He owned all things, you and I have a responsibility to faithfully, practically support others in the gospel. Galatians 6 verse 10 tells us, As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And so here the first thing that Paul points out to them in the support of the saints is the faithfulness demonstrated. Secondly, concerning the support of the saints, we have the fruitfulness desired. Not only the faithfulness demonstrated, but fruitfulness desired. Look at verse 17, Philippians chapter 4. Paul goes on to say, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire that fruit may abound to your account. Paul is telling them here that he wasn't looking for a gift. He wasn't after their money. He wants to assure them that he's not begging for a pay rise or that his ministry would have folded up if they had not sent his gift. His ministry was based squarely on Christ and his ability to meet Paul's need. No one could accuse Paul of being greedy for money, after people's money, like the televangelists that we have nowadays. He was not commending them in order that he might receive another gift. No, Paul was delighted for their sakes. He had their best interest at heart. He is not concerned with what he would get, his earthly blessings, but rather that they would get spiritual blessings. See, this was really an answer to his prayer. He had prayed at the beginning there in chapter 1. If you remember, he prayed that their love would abound more and more. And that they would have this attitude of not looking on their own things, but looking on the things of others. And an evidence of their abounding love, and the evidence that we were think they were thinking of others, is the very fact that he had received this gift from them. It showed that these people were being governed by Christian principles. And this would not feel to be rewarded. This is a wonderful evidence of maturity in these uh, believers there at Philippi. And this really blessed the Apostle Paul. This act of love is something that would contribute ultimately to their own good. And Paul speaks of it here as fruit really abounding to their account. Now the word fruit is often used in Scripture to denote, to denote results or something that is produced or rewards. Punishment is the fruit of sin. Happiness 
is the fruit of a virtuous life. And the language is taken from the fact that a man reaps or gathers the fruit of that which he plants. And this is the same principle, what's happening, or what Paul's working out here, what the Lord Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, about laying up treasures in heaven, where moth and rust doth not corrupt, and thieves do not break through and steal. Living and giving in a way where eternal dividends would accrue to the account of the believer, the spiritual bank account of the believer. Paul was really desiring that the fruit of righteousness, doing the right thing, would come forth more and more in their life. And this was an evidence that they were doing the right thing, that they were giving to support in the ministry of the gospel that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would be known among those who have never heard. And so the gift was an evidence of their abounding love and the fact that they were thinking towards and off others, a fact that they were becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Was there one who ever gave to others more than him? He is the example of the one who gave all. Now here's the principle that Paul's working out. It's throughout the Scripture in Proverbs 19 and the verse 17. We read, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. And that which he hath given will he pay him again. The Lord repays a man. I was speaking to the young people a number of weeks ago about this principle of giving to the Lord, of rendering unto the Lord the first fruits of their harvest, of their substance, of the increase of what they have, giving their tithe and their offering, and then the associated blessings that God has promised to give them in return. And what that type of blessing is, and we don't want to limit it because the heir of the prosperity gospel. But what that type of blessing is, is determined by the Lord Himself. This is a principle that is laid down in Scripture. As we give to the cause of Christ, and of course the motive is all important here and not the amount, we will find that the Lord will not be in debt to us. Luke chapter 6. Let's turn there, get our fingers and our minds active. Luke chapter 6 and the verse 38. The Lord Jesus, He's highlighting this principle. And I know we want to avoid this, or maybe some avoid it, because of, well, unscrupulous men who preach for their own gains and their own ends and misabuse the Scripture, or sorry, abuse the Scripture. But this is a principle that's taught. Turn to Luke chapter 6 and the verse 38. And we read there, it's the words of the Lord Jesus give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Matthew chapter 10 and the verse 42. The Lord Jesus is speaking there as well. Matthew chapter 10 verse 42. Christ he also said, And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. And that's why the Lord said, and Paul quotes it, and he says it to the church at Ephesus, he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
There is a reward. The Lord will not be in debt. The Lord will bless. And as I said, the determination of the type of that blessing is up to our sovereign God. It may be material. It may be. But we must remember that the material blessings of the old dispensation, they always pointed to the greater, nobler, and lasting spiritual blessings in the new dispensation, the New Testament. And so we leave it to God. God is no man's debtor. Paul, in that section in 2 Corinthians, which deals with a lot of the support of God's work in practical giving, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and the verse 6, He which soweth sparingly, and this is all in the context of giving into the work of God, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And again, whatever form that reaping is in, that's for the Lord to determine. You see, the thing is, brothers and sisters, this all takes faith takes faith. You and I, we like to see the numbers in our account balance. But Paul knew that what they had done would not go unrewarded. They would be recompensed, not by man, not by him, for he had no ability to give back to them, but they would be recompensed by God himself. And that's what Paul desired. They would abound. Fruit would come forth in their life in a matter of righteous living, giving to support the saints who are engaged in the spread of the gospel of Christ. The third point, not only the faithfulness demonstrated and the fruitfulness desired, but we have the fullness declared in verse 18. Back in Philippians chapter 4, but I have all and abound. I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Paul uses three phrases here, one on top of another, to show that he's abundantly satisfied. He wasn't pleading or begging for the money. He says, I have all and abound. I am full. There's no covetousness. There's just contentedness. He tells them in effect here from these words that he has more. He's more than he needs. He has a surplus. He was overwhelmed, not only because they gave, but he was overwhelmed in supply, practical supply and support by what they gave. He had enough and to spare. You see, the person who lives for this world, will never, ever have enough. But that was not Paul. He was satisfied, and he's letting them know. He was sending them by the hand of Epaphroditus this epistle, which was really a receipt that he had received in full all that he needed by way of practical matters. And he was thankful to the Lord for it. Now we notice that as the apostle here declares his fullness, that he reveals the giving of the gifts were an act of worship on the part of Philippians. He describes the latest gift at the end of that verse, verse 18, as an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You well know this is language. It's taken out of the Old Testament, 
and is particularly associated with the Levitical offerings. Now, we know that Christ is the fulfillment of those offerings. His sacrifice, Ephesians 5, verse 2, is the sacrifice that is a sweet-smelling savor unto God. But we are taught here that those things we give to the Lord, whether that is in the matter of practical support, financial giving, or whether that is the praise of our lips, those things are through the merit of Christ a sacrifice that's well-pleasing to the Lord. They are acts of worship. Do you know, for many of you today, the first act of worship you performed in coming to God's house was dropping your money into the box. For many of you, the last act of worship today, as you leave, will be dropping your tithe, your offering, into the boxes at the door. The Lord, He takes note of it. It is part of worship. It is an act of worship. As I said, the Lord takes note of it. When in the temple, where did the Lord stand? He stood beside the receptacle boxes. You read in the Old Testament about those. You read from secular historians about those receptacle boxes. And as people come into the temple, well, they paid in their temple tax, as it was called. And as the Lord was there, He saw that widow woman throw in her two mites. And in seeing her, we obviously know that He saw all others and what they gave. He knew what she gave in proportion to what she had. And He knew what she gave in comparison to others. Giving to the Lord is an act of worship, and we must not forget that. It is something that pleases the Lord, and it is the means by which saints are supplied. And that brings me to my second point this morning. Not only the support of the saints, but the supply of the saints. Verse 19, the other standout verse in this great chapter. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now again, context is important. We cannot divorce verse 19 from what comes before. Paul knew that these people had given sacrificially, that they gave beyond their means. But he also knew that God would not be unmindful of that. And that he would, in reply, that is God, supply all their need. Now, there's three things, sub-points, that I want to bring briefly to your attention from this well-known verse. Firstly, notice we have here a personal relationship. But my God. Martin Luther, he very famously said, religion consists in personal pronouns. Paul's not talking here about some abstract God. He's not like those in Athens who had erected an altar to the unknown God. No, he was able to say, my God. Just like the psalmist in Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is a wise shepherd. The Lord is a good shepherd. The Lord is a caring shepherd. Yes, he's all those things. But the psalmist was able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I ask you this morning in this gathering, can you refer to God in that way? Can you say he is my God? 
It's not enough to be able to say, well, he's the God of my father, or he is my mother's God, or he is my spouse's God. That's not enough. You need to be able to say, my God, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Thomas, Paul, and countless multitudes have been able to and are able to refer to God as my Lord and my God, my Father, our Father. This is a testimony of all those who are in a covenant relationship with Him. In Leviticus 26 and verse 12, the Lord says unto His people, I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. And that type of language is repeated over and over again in Scripture. It's really the essence of the covenant of redemption, that God would be our God, and that we would be His people, and that He can only be, and that we can only be through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what He has accomplished by His death and bloodshedding that any are reconciled unto God. We say in times past we are not a people, but now we are the people of God. Sinner, you need to think about this this morning. It's time that you would take the words of Ruth upon your lips and say, Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. This is the morning you're to close in with the offer of God's salvation. It's not enough to say there is a God. You need to be able to address Him in the personal, possessive pronoun, my God. Paul was able to speak out of experience here what he's going on to say because he had a personal relationship. He could vouch for his God. God had proved Himself to Paul down through the years. And his God was their God, the same God. And the point that Paul was making here is not no matter how the gift is supplied, no matter where it comes from, ultimately the source of it must be traced back to God. James 1.17 Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Our God is our Father, and He knows what we have need of. And a good father will not withhold that which is good from his child. So a personal relationship. But secondly, in this verse, we notice a plentiful resource. It says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. And the first thing we need to point out here is Paul assumes the reality of need. Needs in a person's life. We are poor and needy, as the psalmist himself acknowledges. And the world is full of need. And being a Christian doesn't exempt us from such needs. But again, we need to be careful to distinguish between our needs and our wants. It's possible to want many things which we do not need. Paul wanted the removal of the thorn in the flesh, but really what he needed was more grace. And that was supplied to him. There's no promise that God will supply all our wants. But here we have a promise that God will supply all our need. Now, how do we know that God will supply our need? Well, brothers and sisters, it should be enough that God has said he would. That should be enough. 
I'm going to try more and more, and I trust you all too, to have a childlike faith. God says that that's good enough. Maybe not be able to understand it, might be able to explain it, but if God says it, that should be good enough for the child of God. To take God at His word, to believe it, to accept it, to receive it. God has said it, it should be enough. But furthermore than that, we can, and we know that God will make good on this, because He has already supplied our greatest need at the greatest cost. He gave His only begotten Son to make atonement for sin. Our greatest need was a righteousness with which God would be pleased, and Christ came and He obtained that for us in a sinless life. And that's why the Apostle Paul, he writes in Romans chapter 8 and the verse 32, He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And notice the word all in that verse, and the word all that we have here in verse 19. It would have been great if Paul had said, My God should supply the majority of your needs. Or my God should supply your major needs. But what a comfort we have here. My God should supply all your needs. All sorts of needs, large, small, material, spiritual. God is able to meet His people at the point of their need. Many preachers have likened this verse to a blank check from the bank of God. But you know, a blank check is only good if a person has the resources to make good on it. I read a story about Wilbert Chapman, and he had to make a, a trip out, uh, out west in, in America on a preaching engagement, and he had very little money at the time, and there was a man who was quite wealthy, a friend of his, and he, he wrote him a blank check and he gave it to him. And he says, you know, if you get into difficulty, into trouble, he says, you just fill out whatever amount you need. And the resources are there to meet you at the point of your need. Wilbur Chapman, he went on that uh, journey, that preaching expedition, and he came back and he handed a blank check back to the man. And the Lord had met all his needs anyway and, and other and different ways. But a, a blank check's only good. If someone has the resources to back up the promise that is made on that check. And our God is able. He is able to meet our need. Because He does so according to His riches in glory. There is a plentiful resource. Now the context here puts the focus on material. Material needs. The Philippians had given off their substance to support Paul. And while their resources were limited, God's were not. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. And He is able to meet our material needs and sometimes in unusual ways. Think about Elijah. And the Lord met his need there, his physical need, at the brook Cherith by the ravens, carrying bread and flesh, or through the widow of Seraphah. And so we can take that verse that way. Yes, God will meet our material needs. But I believe Paul elevates us beyond simply the supply to our material needs. The supply to our material needs comes from, we have to say, this, this earth, this world. Food and finance, whatever it might be, comes from the realm of this world. But Paul says here that my God shall supply all your need according to His riches, not in this world, though He owns it all, but His riches in glory. So I believe that Paul is elevating us here beyond, yes, material support, 
uh, material supply, which is obviously the context, but spiritual supply, spiritual support from the Lord. There are unsearchable riches in Christ for the supply of our spiritual needs, which are many. Read in Colossians 2 verse 3, that in Him is hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Read it, please, the Father, that in Him, that's Christ, all fullness should dwell. He is full of grace and truth. And there is an exhaustible resource laid up in Jesus Christ by which our needs, spiritual needs, are met. You notice it's according to His riches. It's not out of His riches. A millionaire might give you a pound or a tenner. Well, that's giving you out of His riches. But if He gives you a million pounds, well, He's giving you according to His riches. And God meets our needs proportionately to his own riches, which are infinite. In other words, there'll never be a lack to those that fear him. Just like Paul had from these individuals received a surplus, he was full, he was abounding. Well, you too, you will find no lack. God will supply you what you with what you need. The Philippians supplied Paul according to their poverty. God would supply them according to his plenty. A plentiful resource. Finally and quickly we notice a pleasing redeemer. A personal relationship. A plentiful resource. But a pleasing redeemer. The last words, by Christ Jesus. And again, we return to the glorious truth of our union with Christ. Paul can't get away from it. That's what I said, the, the preface and the postscript. They're very personal in his dealings with the believers here at Philippi. And I don't even know if he realizes it. But his theology just comes out in his writings. He's living it out in his life. And here this wonderful truth that he writes so much about, union with Christ, and he comes to it again in a matter of practical support, in a matter of God meeting our needs. He comes to it again through Christ Jesus. It is through his pleasing intercession and by his merit that we receive what we need. Spurgeon, he said this, You will not supply your needs by your own care and fretfulness, nor will you find a supply to your needs by going to Moses. That is going to the law. Christ, He is the fountainhead. It is through, by, and in Him that every need is met. If you're in Christ, what confidence you can have this morning. Whatever your need is. The Lord has said, it's a blank check. He's, he'll make good on it. How? I don't know how. What blessing it will be. It's up to Him to determine. But this is what He says. We know from experience He's met our greater need. We argue from the greater to the lesser. But He said it. That's enough. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, He's able to say, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The support and the supply of the saints. 
And may the Lord help us to support his cause, trusting that he will supply our every need. Let's bow in prayer. And may the Lord help us to live out the truth of what we read here in the Word of God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Father, we thank and bless Thee for those who have gone, gone to far-off fields to spread the message of the gospel. Lord, we think of our sister Joanne and our brethren that have gone out from this church, and Glenn, future days, wife Emma and the children, Stephen in the college, Lord, whatever the future would entail for him. Lord, help us to not only offer prayerful support, but practical support. And Lord, we know here from this teaching that if we are faithful in this matter, that fruit will abound to our account. Lord, you will recompense us. Lord, help us, O God, we pray. Help us to realize that what we give is an act of worship, something that pleases Thee. Not that You need any of our money, but Lord, it pleases Thee, for it reveals the attitude, the love of our hearts. So help us in this matter. And then help us to lean upon this great verse that we have in verse 19. Thank You that You are our God. We thank Thee, Lord, that we are in Christ Jesus. And that through him, you will supply all our need. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to live in the light of what we have here. For we know this will produce that contentedness within us. We will have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. And the God of peace will be with us. So bless thy work. Bless the cause of Jesus Christ. Save the lost. Bring glory to thy great name. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit be the portion of thy people, both now and forevermore. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.